Proverbs chapter 31, we find these words beginning in verse 28. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat of the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but you excel all of them. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Today I would like to share some thoughts concerning some outstanding mothers. The message, though, is not just for mothers, it's for men, ladies, everybody. We can learn some wonderful things from some of these outstanding ladies. First one is one named Jacobin. Now that's kind of an unusual name. In the original, it has a meaning. It means Jehovah is glorious. Jehovah is glorious. So one of the ancient names of God, Jehovah. It is a glorious name. We read about what happened with her in Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. <clears throat> and there met a man from the house of Levi, and he took to wife a daughter of Levi. And when the woman conceived and gave birth to a son, and when she saw him that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. And of course she did that because of the Pharaoh's order to kill all male children. When she could no longer hide him, she took for him a basket of bulrushes. She daubed it with bitumen, with pitch, and put the child in it. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood way off to see what would be done to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along the river's sides. When she saw the ark, the basket among the flags, she sent her maid to get it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and look, the baby cried, and she had compassion on him, and she said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to you a nurse from the Hebrew ladies, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. When the maid went and called, the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. Just think the kind of faith that she had to have to do such a thing. To put her little three-year-old baby, three-month-old baby, in a basket and let it float down the Nile River. 
we learn in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, that she was not alone in this decision. In 11.23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. They were not afraid of the king's command. So you see, they were agreed on this. They hid him for three months, put him in the basket. No doubt the husband agreed. They both had faith. And so we see the very great importance of faith. In church, we hear many, many times about faith. We're encouraged to trust God, to have faith in Him. Now, often in evangelical churches, we're called to repent and put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, of course, is correct. We should do that. But sometimes we tend to think that that's all faith is. To trust Him for forgiveness and eternal life. But no, faith is also for daily living, as we see exemplified by Jochebed and Amram, her husband. They're both named in chapter 6 of Exodus. So we begin by trusting the Lord who died for us and rose from the dead. And we continue by trusting the Lord, by believing in God to help us day by day. And that's a very practical thing, to depend on God Almighty every day, all of our lives, to know He is trustworthy, He is faithful. Another couple of mothers worthy of example, they're spoken of in the book of Ruth. Right after the book of Judges comes the book of Ruth. We find in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Ruth said, Don't ask me to leave you or to return from following after you. Because where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so more to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. The basis of that was that Ruth had been married to one of Naomi's boys. He had died. Naomi had another daughter-in-law, daughter another son. He too had died. Naomi then decided to return to her own people. There had been a famine there earlier. Now things were straightened out. The other daughter-in-law said goodbye. Ruth, however, refused to say goodbye. She says, I'm going with you. <laughs> Where you die, I'm going to die. I'm going to stick by you. I'm going to be loyal to you. And she was. But not only that, she said, your God shall be my God. She was going to leave her Moabite gods, false gods, 
and trust the true God, Jehovah, God Almighty, the true Lord. What a decision she made. Notice, though, first of all, the influence which Naomi had exerted over Ruth. The kind of influence that bound them together for life. It's important that we give a good influence to other people. That we represent Jesus so that they will want to be our friends and will follow our God. June's first husband died when he was 25. His last name and hers became Burke. His mother, Grandma Burke, had a great influence on my wife, a very positive, good influence. Helped her become the person she is. And she stayed grandmother not only to June's two boys, but to our three more. Philip being the last one. So it's important to give a good influence. But then notice on Ruth's part what she did. She became loyal to her mother-in-law, her former mother-in-law, since her husband had passed away. Loyalty is something that I suspect many times is lacking in today's culture. It's important that we be loyal to people who deserve our loyalty. It's sad when people betray their friends. It's wonderful too that Ruth was loyal then to Naomi's God. She became a good Christian, as it were, in those days. And you may know that she then bore a child who was an ancestor of David and then of the Lord Jesus Christ. God took this Gentile lady, brought her into his fold to the true God. He blessed her in a wonderful way with a husband, Boaz. And they were the parents of an ancestor of the Messiah. And so we learned some great things from Naomi and from Ruth, as well as from Jacob. Another lady in the Old Testament I would like to mention. Go over a book, if you would, to 1 Samuel. We find a name, a lady of name called Hannah. Now, her husband had married two wives. Sometimes they did it in those days. And often the wives became in competition with each other. And one of the wives had children, but Hannah didn't have any children. The other one made fun of her, derided her. And back in those days, for a woman not to have a child was a very serious and embarrassing situation. Hannah felt that deeply, especially being voted on by her <laughs> fellow wife. And so, one day when they were coming a yearly trip to Jerusalem, she entered into great prayer and she promised God, if he'd only listen to her prayer and give her a son, 
she would give that son back to God to serve him all his life. He would be a Nazarite, be given by her to God. Well, as she was praying this, she was praying silently to the Lord. Her lips were moving, but you couldn't hear what she was saying. The old priest's name was Eli. He thought she was drunk. And so he told her she ought to put her drink away from him. She explained to him that she wasn't drunk. Out of the depths of her heart, she was pouring out her petition and promise and vow to God. And he realized that he'd been wrong and he put blessing upon her. God, if you'll give me a child, I'll give him back to you. But God heard her prayer. A prayer of faith, a prayer of dedication. A prayer and a promise. You know what happened. She conceived. She gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, which means asked from God. She raised him for two or three years, nursing him and taking care of him. And then she fulfilled her promise. She brought him to Eli, the priest, to serve God the rest of his life. Eli trained him and helped him. From Anna we learn to bring our deepest concerns to God, do we not? This was the big thing that had been bothering her. She couldn't have a child. She prayed to God. She promised God. And then she followed through with her promise. Sometimes people pray and God answers and they forget about the following through aspect. I understand many times soldiers get in a very difficult impossible kind of situation and God save me and I'll serve you the rest of my life. They get saved but they forget about the serving. She didn't. She followed through. She'd given this child to God and literally when the time came she presented him to God. And he was a great prophet of Israel. He served God. What a blessing it is to have a child or children who follow the Lord and who serve Him. Going on to the New Testament, two or three mothers I'd like to mention. One is Mary, the mother of Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, we read about her. By the way, that term, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is the way she is presented in Acts 1.14. Now, there are some who call her Mary, the mother of God. Logically, well, that's true because Jesus is God. But that gives an unfortunate connotation. <coughs> So I think it's much better to do what the scripture says, refer to as Mary, 
mother of Jesus. And we know he's God. We're not denying his deity when we put it that way. Because that's the way the scripture puts it. In Luke chapter 1, we find a, a great prayer of dedication. Notice it comes to a climax in verse 38. You see, the angel Gabriel had come to her. He had told her that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. Her response is found in verse 38. Mary said, Look at the handmaid of the Lord. Be it to me according to your word. Earlier she'd asked how this is going to happen since I've not had sex relationships with a man. So technically she was legally bound to Joseph. But in those days they waited a while before they consummated the marriage. She was in that situation. And since she was going to have a child conceived apart from Joseph, she asked the logical question, well, how's that going to happen? And so it was explained to her it would be a virgin conception and then a virgin birth. Now she could have figured out something here. If I have a child that's a virgin conceived born child, during the period of time when you figure the nine months back, it would have been conceived. And I wasn't supposed to have a child that quickly. People are going to think that I am an immoral woman. That makes sense, doesn't it? I don't know if she really thought that far or not, but maybe she did. If I agree to be a virgin mother, there are people who are going to accuse me and persecute me as being immoral. Well, that happened. Again, I don't know whether she thought that far or not, but she's probably a pretty smart girl and very possibly did. Well, it comes out a little bit then later in Jesus' life in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we find his enemies accusing him, as it were, in verse 41. They told Jesus, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we be not born of fornication, immorality. We have one father, even God. So we find the passage here, they're accusing him of being born of immorality. In other words, Mary had committed an immoral act. Later on, verse 48, then answered the Jews and they said to him, don't we say well that you are a Samaritan? They're claiming now that his dad was a Samaritan, that hated race against which they had great prejudice. So you see, yes, Mary was accused as, as well as, as Jesus. So they had things to say about him and about her. 
But then also, before Gabriel the angel, she may have thought about when it's discovered I'm pregnant and Joseph knows he's not the father, he may turn against me and divorce me. As you know the scripture, that's precisely what started to happen. When he found out she was pregnant, he decided to put her away to divorce her in a private manner. He didn't want to harm her as least as possible. But then he had a dream and God explained to him what had really happened, so he didn't do that. But earlier she could have thought of that. I may lose my, my husband, my fiancé, my legal one when he finds out I'm pregnant. Well, God prevented that from happening. But in spite of all these things, what was her response? Again, 138. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. May it happen to me as you've said. And so she trusted God with all the ifs, ands, and buts, with all the possible persecution which later came to Jesus at least and probably to her she trusted God and she committed her way to him I'm your handmaid Lord whatever you want is okay that's really a great example for us is it not to surrender to God completely I understand at one time there was a man that was having some problem with trying to surrender all the way to the Lord. And finally he came up with a prayer. The Lord, I'm, I'm not willing, but I pray that you would make me willing to be willing. <laughs> and understand God answered that prayer. That's a good prayer. We need to follow too the example, do we not, of Mary who was willing the handmaid of the Lord. Two other ladies go with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 1. A grandma and a mom. First, 2 Timothy 1, 5. When I call to remembrance the unpretended faith which is in you, in Timothy, which lived first in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded that also in you. So we find that Grandma Lois and Mother Eunice are examples of faith. They believed in God. They trusted in Him. But notice how it was passed from generation to generation. The older lady, the grandma, Lois, and she passed it to her daughter Eunice. Then the daughter Eunice, she had faith, she passed it then to her son Timothy, as it were. What an example that is. The faith we have in Jesus should be passed on to our children, to our family, to other people. That may be a difficult thing to do. We need God's strength. We need his guidance. We need his help. We need to back it up with solid,
Christian living. But notice the faith here in 1.5 is presented as unpretending, genuine faith that they had. Now we learn in chapter 3, verse 15, in part it's centered on a certain thing. 315, 2 Timothy, he tells Timothy, from a child you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise to salvation through faith that's in Christ Jesus. And you so you gather that Lois and Eunice the mother taught young Timothy from the very start the Holy Scriptures. Now at that point, they didn't have all the New Testament yet, but they taught Timothy the things they did have, which was the Old Testament. The whole issue of how the New Testament came to be recognized as sacred scripture is not something I wish to try to cover today, but that did happen. But the scripture that they knew to be scripture, they taught. And so that's a guidepost for us. We should teach God's sacred scripture. We should pass it on to our children, to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to others, as God guides. In a very general sense, Jesus told us to do that to take the truth, to pass it on to everyone because he died for everyone and he rose from the dead. These are some thoughts then from some outstanding mothers. But as you can see, they apply not merely to mothers, they apply to women, to men, to everybody. I hope this will be an encouragement to each of us to have faith, to be loyal, to trust God, to believe the scriptures, to bring to him our deepest needs as well as other needs in our lives, and to be an example of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we have a prayer of dedication. We thank you so much, Heavenly Father, for your love to us. We thank you for mothers and for others who have helped us trust in you. We thank you that our faith in you overleaps human considerations. It's for everybody. It's for all people. It's for the whole human race. Thank you that this is so. Thank you for the faith that we have. We would renew our faith now to you. Help us to be willing to be willing, to be fully surrendered to you in all ways. To you be all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. In the name of your wonderful Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.